if you, and, and I always preface when I talk either a lecture or I do webinars or a podcast that also realize I'm going to see a separate, a separate subset. So, yeah. um, you know, as a tertiary care, we are going to see a different population. And I still get people who come in and, you know, they don't do anything I say, or they can only do the exam fee. So it's not that I don't get exposed to that, but I, we are definitely going to see a population of clients who are a bit more willing to do the workup. So it is a little different in that way, but I think it depends on how you view it. See, I think it's actually, and this is why I'm a dermatologist. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. Oh, we're getting together, Dr. Susan. This is amazing. I cannot believe that in all the episodes we've recorded, we've never done that until today. Yes. I cannot believe. But it is wonderful because we're almost at that 100th episode. We're close. And so it would be really bad if we wouldn't have done that once in our life. So this is... (laughs) This, this is the one time, and uh, I love, so this is the Purr Podcast, and uh, uh, my name is Dr. Yola Kirpensen, and we have here the amazing... Who, me or our guest? Yeah, you, of course. Me? Oh, it's just <laughs> me. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I'm Dr. Susan Little. Not, not, not so amazing, at least not, not these days, trying to multitask. <laughs> so... Um, Dr. Susan, I am really excited about our next speaker yes. because it's a topic that we haven't touched. And there is a very specific reason why we haven't touched that topic. And Dr. Susan, do you want to tell our lovely audience that or shall I? What the reason is? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a couple of veterinary specialties that I dislike. <laughs> I'm trying to be politely so sweet. <laughs> I'm trying to be politely That's such a good start of this podcast. I know, I know. But what that translates to is I am hopeless at them. And one of them is dermatology because yeah, I'm sure as as we go on, I'll I'll tell you I can sum up feline dermatology like in one sentence. <laughs> from like my point of view you know and so this is why we need people like our guest on because yes yes so we'll definitely talk about that and i love dermatology as a matter of fact uh because the derm the skin is what i cut through and what i suit so (laughs) well yeah but i'm guessing a lot of what our guest does doesn't have anything to do with surgery no that's true that's true and we're going to talk felines only we forgot to tell tell our guests Uh oh big surprise only cats so it's feline only but we have the amazing and now you can say your name uh ashley bourgeois Awesome. Awesome, Ashley. Thank you for being on the show. I, I, I am really, really excited because we're not only going to talk about Durham, but we're going to talk about podcasts and all the things that you do on social media because mm. you're pretty big there. I, you kind of um, helped me back listening to Durham podcasts in general. Wouldn't be the first thing that I would do when I think about podcasts. <laughs> I love your podcast, so uh, I am a frequent listener of it. So uh, congratulations there, and thank you for being on. 
Well, thank thank you for having me. And I have to say, I didn't anticipate any surgeon wanting to to listen to a veterinary dermatology podcast. So the fact that you even mentioned you might've listened to some just made my day. Oh, look at that. We're both really podcast enthusiasts, right? So yeah, yeah. you have to be supportive of everyone in the veterinary podcast (laughs) space. You know, there's not that many of us. And as you guys know, it's a ton of work, but honestly, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it, def- it definitely is. And, uh, and it, it's my favorite pastime. So, you know, we <laughs> Although all know this, uh, I have to admit, um, I think Yola and I found find it more fun now that we have an employee who does. Yes, that helps. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> that helps make it more fun. <laughs> yeah, so so when it used to be that I put all those podcasts together. And yeah, that takes quite a lot of time. So we have a person now that does that for us. It's Ben. And Ben is doing an awesome job. So big uh, shout out for Ben. Yay, uh, Ben. Yay, Ben. <laughs> Mine is my brother. And oh. yeah. And so he doesn't. Oh, we've got a little freeze up going on there. Uh, and then um, how you got to get. Oh, so Dr. Susan is back. Great to yeah, see you. I, I didn't know if you guys froze or I froze, but I, I'll, I've moved into a different room where I can. Uh, have a hard wire. So keep talk amongst yeah. yourselves. Yeah, no problem, no problem. So I was posing the question uh, of, uh, of how she started with this uh, and, and, and what does it take to become a veterinary dermatologist? Sure. Yeah, so um, yeah, there's, there's actually not a whole ton of us. I think that the last time they put out the amount, I think it's somewhere in the 300s, but it's definitely a field I feel like is growing a lot. And honestly, I did not enter into vet school thinking I wanted to do dermatology. I figured that I would do small animal practice with maybe some equine. And it was pretty quickly my first year I fell in love with it. And I always tell the joke that it was an anesthesiologist, one of our associate deans that first planted the seed. He he came into a first year and just said, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would do dermatology. There's really not many emergencies, not much dyes, and um, you know it's just a better quality of life. And of course, that sounds super attractive, right? Like, oh, cool. Um, but it kind of planted the seed of oh, just there are dermatologists. But it was truly the end of my first year um, that I, we started just doing some basic stuff in pathology, and I just realized how much I love dermatology. I love how visual everything is. I am by nature, a people person. I love cultivating relationships. I love getting to know um, my patients and clients. So as much as people hate the fact that it's chronic, I actually love it because I, you know, they're frustrating cases, but I really get to know my clients. Like I have two children and both times I came back from maternity leave or while I was pregnant with my children and still seeing cases, you know, we'd spend half the exam with clients talking to me about my kids. Like they just, we really get to know each other. And I love that. And I feel like managing a dermatology case is a team effort because there you have to let me know when a flare has happened. I have to really educate them on what to expect because most allergy 
cats, um, you know, they're not perfect. Even when we have them managed well, they have flares time to time. So that's kind of how that journey started. And then I was just the one Durham nerd in our class that it was from the get-go at the end of our first year, it was like, I wanted to do dermatology. And so I did, I finished vet school at the University of Missouri. I did a small animal rotating internship at Purdue University after that. And then I got my residency with the company I'm currently with, Animal Dermatology Clinic down in Southern California. And then I moved to Portland, gosh, like five years ago with the same company and have just continued to love dermatology ever since. Hence the reason the Derm Vet even happened. Like it was really just me being so passionate and wanting to teach people how to do better dermatology because a lot of schools don't have it. And it is a really big majority of what general practitioners see day to day. I think that's a really important point. And the other point that I picked up immediately was the fact that the relationship with your clients, I remember in my oncology practice, that's the same thing. Uh, you, you know that you will have these clients forever until you know the pets die. And hopefully that's a really, really long time, but you really build wonderful relationship with these chronic cases much more than if I was an orthopedic surgeon and I see a, a puppy breaks his leg, fix it, see it six weeks later and then never see it again. So I can, I can really relate with that uh, for sure. So if, if we look at um, your career path, um, where, where and, and we were talking a little bit about that we always feel that cats are under, underrepresented in education did you have the same feeling when you were doing your dermatology track or is there a 50 50 balance between the two species oh definitely not a 50 50 balance i completely agree uh you know that's where a lot of people do including apparently dr little do find feline dermatology so frustrating and it really is because you're super limited as far as the medications available and that are, are labeled for cats you know there's only so much uh, information we have it seems like in the literature, it's always dogs leading the charge and then cats kind of fall, you know, five, 10 years behind that. And then cats are difficult a lot of times to give medications to, um, you know, they're more isolated creatures. They want to run away when owners start having to pill them once a day. So I completely agree. And to be honest, even as a dermatology specialty practice, we for sure see more dogs than we do cats. I, I do feel like more educating is getting out there about feline dermatology and otitis. And I do feel like even in the last probably three years, we have started seeing more and more cats, but I completely agree. They've definitely been behind as far as the options that we have. You do have the coolest psychology though. I love good cytology. And I will say, I think cats can really shine in that aspect because one of my favorite things to find besides an, a good acantholytic keratinocytes and cats are really stingy with those, but when you find them, they're fabulous, but I love a good cat eosinophil. Like if I can just they're find a rip, yeah, they're beautiful. They're pretty. They're super pretty. Yeah. I thought if you can find a good cat ear mite, I mean, that, that was, I, that, when I saw them for the first time as a student, you know, there was a cat with those full of ear mice that were amazing under the microscope too. So I love those crawly things. So you want to hear actually, um, a lot of people don't realize this. I have never had my own case of otodectes. 
because general practitioners are yeah. honestly so good at picking that up. They they're on top of it. So I've really actually never seen one like as my own case because we hardly see it. Like you guys are so great at picking it up that they don't really come to us for that. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the coolest uh, thing that I've seen was a nasal mic. I don't know what the, the mic is called, but there is a mic that the D word has in its nose and you can see him running around. It's just amazing. I don't know where that video came from, but there's this little white thing that was running around in the nose of a, of, of a D. It, it creepy, but very interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's a little unusual what vets find cool, isn't it? <laughs> we all have our things. That's why veterinary medicine is yeah. so wonderful. Yeah. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Um, you know, Susan, why, why do you have, you, you were talking a little bit about the, that dermatology might not be the, your favorite thing to do. Uh, <laughs> what, what is the cause for that? I mean, you, you love almost anything in cats. So it's, it's surprising <laughs> that you found something that you didn't like. <laughs> well, there's, there's several things and I, I usually don't like them because I'm no good at them. So dermatology is right up there with neurology for me. Like they're both black boxes, you know? Um, I think for derm and cats, the, at least my problem is no matter what the disease, the clinical signs are all the same. Like cats use the same clinical signs for everything, right? So, you know, it's um, sad to say, but feline dermatology for me has boiled down to um, it's either fleas or you need steroids, <laughs> which is a very reductive way <laughs> of, of hey, proposing hey, things. Hey, thank you, Dr. Bourgeois, for being on the podcast. And <laughs> episode. Nice, nice meeting you. And, yes. Uh, okay, Dr. Susan, maybe I should ask the questions now. No. Like, I, I might have a thing or two to add, but I, I, under, I understand. I understand the frustration. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's true. They really do look a lot alike, and it really depends on how you view that. If you, and, and I always preface when I talk either a lecture or I do webinars or podcasts that also realize I'm going to see a separate, a separate subset. So, yeah. um, you know, as a tertiary care, we are going to see a different population and I still get people who come in and, you know, they don't do anything I say, or they can only do the exam fee. So it's not that I don't get exposed to that, but I, we are definitely going to see a population of clients who are a bit more willing to do the workup. So it is a little different in that way, but I think it depends on how you view it. See, I think it's actually, and this is why I'm a dermatologist. I think it's really cool that a lot of times I do feel like a detective with these cats. It's like, I can't just stare at you and immediately say, oh, it's flea or food allergy. Like I can have things that maybe raise my suspicion of one or the other, but it really is, we talked about that chronic relationship. It really is that workup, that educating, um, and it is frustrating, but when, gosh, when you get them under control, it's, it's amazing. When you get a cat off steroids, it's just amazing. See, this is why I, I always have really good experts, right? The dermatology chapters in my textbooks, like I don't have <laughs> dermatology chapters. And the other thing that I will admit to, um, so there's a very nice dermatology section in August Consultations and Feline Internal Medicine, Volume 7, which is the volume that I took over. It's a great term dermatology section in there. And, and so what happens is when I'm editing a textbook, I read all this great stuff and I go, okay, so like now, now I feel I'm, you know, I'm prepared. And then within a month, I'm like, give them some steroids. You know, <laughs> so I'm just, I'm really, I'm just 
bad at dermatology. Well, if it makes you feel better, I do use a lot of steroids. Like <laughs> good. I I don't feel like some on some days just for variety, like we might use cyclosport instead, you know. But right. But but I think part of the frustration, of course, is that there's just very limited tools, right? Like we jo- we're joking about it, but there's not a ton of drugs for dermatology. Um probably in either species, but even less so in cats. Than so in- let's start with the beginning though, because we're running a little ahead. We are. So you are the Sherlock Holmes of veterinary medicine <laughs> and you get a cat with a chronic dermatologic problem, uh, say itching, hair loss or whatever, whatever it is. And we will talk about the top five of dermatologic problems that you see. But first, I want to know if you get a cat in where the owner is complaining about derm disease, what do you in generally do? Yeah. So if we're talking from a general scheme, any dermatologist that you will have a discussion about any case will say how important the history is. So, um, and that goes from signalment, um, response to previous medications. You know, if you just talk about derm disease and an itchy, crusty cat, we, our mind goes to allergies, but there's lots of things that can cause cats to be itchy. So if we break into two broad categories, it's going to be like infection and allergies, but there's, you know, there's parasites that we've already mentioned. I mean, even beyond fleas, there's um, notoedries. We talked about ear mites, ododectes. Um, there's, um, there's forms of demodex in sour parts of the country. There's chylotiella. So there's lots of things that can cause them to be itchy. So it's really kind of combining the history of the problem. Like when did it start? Do they have stomach issues? Have they been responsive to steroids? So a lot of times cats come into me. Yeah. They've already been on steroids. Well, did those work or didn't they? Because if they didn't work and I don't think there was an infection that was present, cause that can be tricky. Um, I might not think this cat's allergic at all. Like maybe it has really something awful like exfoliative dermatitis, you know, all these other weird things that we can see cats have. So really taking a step back um, and getting a good history is really important. And sometimes I think the frustration too, is we want to look at cats as Dr. Little said, and we want to say, okay, I see you, you're this, but she's right. They look very similar. Like a crusty cat can look like a crusty cat. Like it can look like an allergy cat. It can be super infected. It can have dermatophyte. It can have weird autoimmune diseases like pemphigus. So that's where I'm such a passionate person about cytology. Like when I came up with cytology, everything, I wasn't trying to be creative. I wasn't trying to be like super forward thinking. It truly is the most basic test we have that gives a ton of information. And even if the first exam in a crusty cat, we identify there's a ton of infection that we need to take a few weeks to clear up. So then we can see what the skin looks like without infection. That's a terrific way to start in one of these cases. So it's really just kind of getting more in that mindset of not having all the answers in that appointment as much as knowing the path we need to go on. It's a really good way to put it actually, right? Because I think in, in many, in many um, areas of veterinary medicine, we often feel pressured to kind of have the answer in that, in the exam, right? And as an internal medicine person, I'm really used to explained owners why we don't. And it's the same approach for, for dermatology, right? And the other thing I'll say is that I think, and you can let me know if I'm right or not, probably um, pyodermas, whether they're primary or secondary, are probably underdiagnosed in cats, I'm guessing, right? 
Yeah, I would totally agree. You know, the the beauty of in the demise of having injectable things like Depomedrol and Convenia is that they're often given together. Yeah. And so, and, it, and it, it works, right? It works. It makes the cats feel better. But then I always have the question. So I have diagnosed plenty of pemphigus cats where the owner thinks it's a seasonal um, issue and that they just get better on antibiotics. And then when I look in the actual medical record, you know, every three months they get convenient in depot and it's actually been that the steroids helped, but then when they wore off the autoimmune disease came back. So it's kind of pulling back and you have to be honest with owners about that. I think because people think skin so visual that we should be able to just look and snap our fingers and say, well, this is exactly what's going on, but it's just like any other organ. It's just, we can see it. Like if you're going to do a liver workup, you're not going to exactly know everything that's going on with that cat because ALT is high, right? Like you're going to have to go through your workup and it's the same thing, but because we can see skin, we automatically think we should have the answers right away. And I just want to take away one thing that everybody thinks that vets, we as vets are bad because we're combining drugs. A friend of mine went to the hospital with an unknown disease and they gave him a combination of antibiotics, high dose steroids and high dose antivirals. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Which so says we have now? no idea. <laughs> and it's not wrong, right? Like sometimes yeah. I use steroids and antibiotics all the time, but you just have to kind of know what you're doing. Like sometimes for quality of life, you have to put out the fire. That's absolutely not inappropriate, but it's a conversation with the owner of let's get them comfortable. However, like we don't really know what's going on. So that just depends on the follow-up and the recheck. So I completely agree. There are plenty of cats who leave and they're starting flea control. They're starting a diet trial. I'm putting them on steroids and we're treating their infection, but then the owners know we still have work to do. Yeah. So, so that, that is the first line of attack then. And cytology plays a really big role. What are some other tools that you have? Oh yeah, we definitely don't want to ignore, um, you know, things like dermatophyte cultures, especially in cats. And I will say, I feel like general practitioners are really good in cats in particular, since they mm -hmm. are kind of the hallmark ones to get dermatophyte. Um, you know, we, I don't even feel like we see as much dermatophyte as probably some of the general practitioners do again, because it's really, I, I actually feel like I see it a little bit more in dogs because it's not really thought of as much compared to like a young kitten losing hair, people automatically, you know, do a woods lamp on it. So you don't want to forget the basics. Even if you think of a cat, like a dog, which I know is, you know, we don't like to say that, but <laughs> people kind of see cats and they freak out like, Oh, I don't know what to do. Do what you would do in a dog. Like don't give them sight a point, like things that aren't labeled for cats, but what would you do in a niche dog? You would do a cytology, Maybe it's skin scrape. If you're worried about some sort of parasite you could find, you might do a DTM or a DTM slash PCR um, for fungal, just to make sure there's not um, ringworm there. If there's a lot of infection, you might culture, like really the diagnostics are quite similar. So it pays to have I, my, and it, again, I'm the worst person to, to be saying, I know what, what's going on, but it, it, it seems to me that for your sort of generically, you know, itchy cat or cat with skin disease, it pays to have a set um, protocol to get you started, right? So that you don't forget, I should do cytology, you know, I should do a scraping. So um, I think often we just kind of leap ahead, but it pays to go through all the steps, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, I think we get nervous about having negative results. Like we've wasted the client's money if a DTM comes back negative, but that's still a result. Like if we can say that that cat doesn't have dermatophytes, so maybe we're not as nervous to use things like steroids or cyclosporin to relieve that itch because we have ruled it out that's great. Like a negative scrape is great. Like it's, it's good to take those things away. It's no different than running lab work to make sure that, you know, the internal organs are unremarkable. Like we still need to rule those things out and we shouldn't feel bad if we really legitimately thought that was a concern and it wasn't, that's a, that's, that helps us. So in, in next week's podcast, we're really going to dive into specific diseases and their treatments. I would like to uh, finalize this podcast about, because it, when I listen to you, you have a natural way of explaining things. Mm-hmm. And I think that is also the basis of your podcast. Uh, so I would like you to talk a little bit about the podcast that you have, uh, how, why you started it, and then also what do you normally discuss in that? We already know it's raw, so that's good. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we're really interested in, in how you started it all up. Mm, yeah. Yes, it is definitely not super duper polished. I don't pretend to be. I am not a polished person. Um, I'm just a passionate person. So yeah, I think it's the Derm Vet podcast. And honestly, how it started was um, I had my second child. I have two kids that are about just under two years apart. And after I had my son and I just, I was already speaking at that point. I love speaking. I I love educating because there's, there's a lot of vet schools that don't have dermatology. You get thrown into the real world. It's all you like 50% of what you see. And then it's overwhelming. And, um, as much as I love to travel to conferences and speak, I knew that not everyone could do that. And people are really busy. And I thought, well, what if I'm a busy mom, like, what can I do on my commute to work? Or what can I do if I'm washing the dishes? but I really do want to learn something. Um, I would, I listen to podcasts. So that's kind of how it came about was just being a really busy working mom. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And so we kind of go over everything. It's a mix of me doing shorter episodes, like 10 to 15 minutes on very pointed topics, but then very similar to what you guys do. I love to learn. Like, I don't know everything with dermatology. I love learning from other dermatologists. I've had, um, you know, behaviorist on to talk about over-grooming cats. Um, I've had a neurologist on to talk about neurology signs with otitis. So it's really kind of a nerdy way that I get to invite people to something so I can learn too. And then people just get to listen to our completely natural discussion. So um, it's a mix of both of those things, depending on what people need. And, and what people should download your podcast? Or what is the audience that you're really creating this for? It's targeted towards veterinary professionals. So general practitioners, um, but also a lot of veterinary technicians and vet students, um, they listen to episodes as well. Sure. We'll put a link in our show notes um, to, Aww. yeah, to your, uh, what you do on social media, your podcast, et cetera. Yeah. Cause we, we, you know, we need to support everybody who does this in veterinary medicine because it's uh, still a small, small family. And yeah. like I said, I'm, I'm not a dermatologist, but I really enjoy it. Maybe because it is so genuine um, and, and, and the discussions that are going on. And I, you know, I, I do remember from when I was actively practicing that there were two disciplines I had most relationship with. One was internal medicine, obviously, because a lot of the oncology cases came from there. 
But the other one were the dermatologists because I was also was the reconstructive surgeon. So yeah. I had a lot of crosstalk with dermatology as a surgeon because some things that they diagnosed, uh, they, they sent to me and a lot of things that I diagnosed were not either oncology or reconstruction worthy, but really were something that a dermatologist needed to fix. The other thing that was different in Utrecht is was that ears were the property of surgeons. I don't know why. Oh, yes, oh. Surgeons did all the ear disease. Oh, so, <laughs> oh our, sir, our the surgeons I know would hate that. I, yeah. yeah, but we had an ENT surgeon. So that oh, was really cool. cool. So there was a person that was only, for, and that's in human medicine too, uh, only focus on ears, nose, and throat. So that person had that specialty. Uh, was amazing. So the uh, one of the persons that invented otoscop uh, otoscopic di uh, diagnostics in uh, was from Utrecht, Anjo van Venke van Hagen, uh, and then she uh, was followed up by by Dr. De Haar, who was also a great great surgeon, great uh, ENT surgeon. So uh, so I think it, it's a specialty on its own, but uh, that was also the reason that I had a very, very strong relationship with our Durham people. And our Durham people were very happy to push those ears away for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, I definitely shove them to surgeons when they need to, but it always feels a little bit like I failed. Um, you know, it kind of depends on when they come too, because sometimes yeah. they come in to see us and right away I'm like, you yeah. just need to we're not going to get any progress here. They're calcified. You just need to go. But that's really quite interesting. I used to say like, I actually, we have a laser and I've gotten really into like skin um, surgery, like mass removals, you know, to some limit as a dermatologist. I used to say if there was like a skin, I don't want to cut open any abdomens. I don't want to cut any bones, but I would totally be down for like doing a skin surgery specialty. So that's very cool to know. Yeah, skin reconstruction is awesome too. I mean, that's uh, dogs and cats are so flexible. So we give a course uh, once a year uh, about reconstruction. It's so much fun to do because the skin is 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 probably one of my favorite organs. I have to say. Very cool. <laughs> so having said that, we are almost at the end of the podcast. Uh, oh, yeah, so fast. I know it's crazy. So next week we'll be talking about the five most common things that we see as a veterinary dermatologist in cats. Okay. And then we'll talk a little bit about the treatment options. Uh, maybe we don't have enough time and we will have to re-invite Ashley back. But before we go, we had a little discussion about the right pronunciation of your name. And, uh, <laughs> oh and yes, we have, to, we have to tell you the story too. We have a Canadian version. We have a normal version. Uh, we have a French version. And we probably have an American version, so let's uh, let's roll with those. <laughs> so I was I was asking be, right before we started. I was asking um, Ashley how her name is pronounced in in the U.S. Be, is where are your roots, Ashley? I, I forgot to ask you that too. Is there French Canadian roots there or no? no? So it's my married name. So that's oh. kind of yeah. So a lot of people. So I have kind of a joke about that real quick. So um, I was an Air Force brat, so I moved around a lot, but we lived kind of near Kansas City for a while. And my family's originally from Minnesota, which is where I went to high school. So I kind of feel like my roots are Minnesota, but I have a strong tie to Kansas City as well. But my maiden name is Stitch, but it was spelled wrong. It was S-T-I-C-H, no extra T. But people used to say I shouldn't change it. 
And I was like, well, I'm not going to be a surgeon. Like that doesn't really make sense for me to be Dr. Stitch, like as a dermatologist. And, you know, I just personally wanted the same name as my future kids and my husband. It's a, a personal choice. But when I changed my name, um, I took boards around the same time. I had a crazy year that year. And so when I came back from boards and studying, I officially like changed my name at the clinic um, since I had gotten married. And when I came back, all of my clients were like, why did you change? I don't even, what is that? Like Burgess or Joyce? Um, so I have to blame my husband. He's from St. Louis. So obviously there's some like French uh, roots there. So that's, yeah. that's why. Yeah, it's a very common um, French Canadian um, last name. So we we would say bourgeois. It's it's yeah. where I practice is very common name. So there's probably some uh, Cajun, Acadian, French Canadian yeah. roots going on there. Yeah. So um, if you have name problems, Yola really has. <laughs> yes, I want to hear. But I just want to pronounce it the French way because the French are like bourgeois. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really. It's a- very voluptuous, <laughs> yes. A lot of emotion in that, Yola. So, uh, so uh, uh, yeah, so my name officially is in Dutch, Yola Kierpenstein. But what you see in Dutch and how you pronounce it is not exactly the same. So Americans tend to call me Jolly Kierpenstein. <laughs> and so I have tried so many times. <laughs> First, the, you know, if it's J-O-L-L-E, they cannot say Yola. I mean, for mm. some reason, they have to say Jolly or yeah. Yola or Jolie or whatever, whatever they come up with. So now I say, okay, it is phonetically, it rhymes with Coca-Cola. Everybody <laughs> recognize Coca-Cola. So you change the C and put a Y in front of it. Oh, there you go. Yola. That's a good <laughs> way. That's so a good. That, that's the thing. The last name I just I just gave up out completely. Joe Kerb Kamsen. That's the easiest. So <laughs> so I have to tell you his birthday dinner story. You remember the birthday dinner story, Yola? Uh, so I, I don't remember what year it was, and I, you're going to have to tell me what city it was. But we were having dinner on your birthday, and when I made the reservations, I told them it was his birthday, oh, and they yeah. said, <laughs> "How he remembers." <laughs> They said, oh, well, you know, we'll print a special menu. That's what we do when it's a birthday dinner. It'll have his name on it. It'll be a special menu. And I'm like, oh, that's really great. So we, what was it Boston maybe? Or I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway, so we get to the restaurant, you know, and, and uh, like, I'm all excited because he's got to get this special menu. So we sit down, we look at the menu and it says, happy birthday, Julie. Oh. <laughs> Just I've taken such we had to eat a lot of oysters as compensation after that yeah a lot of booze and oysters but uh, all right this has been great thank you we're at the end uh, thank you so much uh dr yeah Bob. we'll be back thank we'll you back next week uh, yes. dr susan would you like to finish this <laughs> so i get to be the closer do i i'm always the closer for some reason so. yeah, because you never start uh, well, I did today. That's yeah, true. I did today. Anyway, so um, you can find all of our episodes on our website at perpodcast.net. You can listen um, directly on our website or in any app or any place that you listen to other podcasts like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a good review for one thing that makes us feel happy and we all need that. 
Uh, and the other reason is it helps other people who might be interested to find us. So also make sure that you check us out on social media at per podcast on most of the social media platforms. And we have a great website per podcast.net. .net. And exactly. uh, another plug for the Dermvet podcast. Yes. Absolutely download it because it's great. So thank you, Ashley, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatVetSusan. Dr. Yurla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove screwbite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 